Good to see you all. Uh, a few mornings a week, I'll come home from the gym, or I, as I come home from the gym every morning, and, and a few mornings of the week, uh, I get greeted by Caleb. I don't know if you guys have met my son, Caleb. He's this tall, back there, and he's got hair. He's got the most beautiful hair I've ever seen. And he asked me, where'd my hair go? And I look at him and I go, you took it. And, uh, and he, he believes me. And, he's, and so he'll say, thanks for my hair or something like that. And like, you're welcome. Uh, Judas caught on. He's like, dad, you're just bald. Come on. But uh, he'll greet me at the top of the stairs. We have uh, steps that go up to our house. But Caleb comes out and sometimes he's just Caleb in a pull-up. That's it. And the neighbors are driving by, and there's Caleb just standing there waiting for me. Sometimes he's dressed. Uh, we're, we're, it's grateful when he's got clothes on. But he's, he's standing there, and he goes, Daddy! Yeah, yeah buddy, he, he's going to be four next month. And he goes, did I grow? And I look at him, and I go, you sure did. You're huge. Of course you grew. No more, though. No more growing. And he goes, ha-ha, I'm going to grow tomorrow. And, <laughs> and he runs away. And he's really shy when he's around here, but if you get to know him, the kid's just crazy. And he's hilarious, and he's funny, and he keeps up with his brother. But the question is, did I grow? A am I bigger? And he'll walk up to the, the thing, and he can't see, and he goes, take, take, my, take my measure. Am I growing still? And he's obsessed with it. He, I ask him how old he is, and he'll say, I'm 16, because I want to buy a Lamborghini. Okay, okay. save your, save your $100 bills, because it's going to be a while. But he wants his car. He wants to be big like Judah. And Judah will ask the same question. He'll come out and he'll say, did I grow? And then all of a sudden the tooth falls out and we're like, yep, you've lost three teeth in the last month. I don't know if that's good or bad or he's catching up from, you know, now he's on par with it. But he smiles and he says he's going to be a jack-o'-lantern for, for, for Halloween. I'm going to put a glow stick in his mouth and so you can see through it. But this is, this is part of their life, right? They grow. When you have kids, they grow. It's good. I'm, I'm happy we're out of some of the phases that, that others are in. I'm happy that, we're, that I'm talking about cars instead of watching the nursery rhyme videos on repeat, on repeat, every, every day. Uh, th th and then they, they try to do things that'll make them grow. And so we've convinced them that there are certain foods called grow food. And if you eat your grow food, you will get muscles. Not immediately. They don't know how body mass muscle index works. They don't know about push-ups and sit-ups and lifting weights. They don't know anything about this. But for them, if they eat all their dinner, they stand up on their chair, which is sometimes allowed in, in times of celebration, and they flex and they go, Ken, did it work, Dad? Did it work? And of course it worked. Now take five more bites because one bite isn't going to do it. That kind of thing. And so one day, and I, and I know some of you are further along the parenting journey, one day Caleb's not going to greet me at the door. He's going to grow out of it. One day they're, they're going to catch on that one night of healthy food isn't enough to sustain them for growth. They're going to catch this. And, and I, hope, uh, I hope it takes a little longer than it's going. Uh, and, and I, but I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful that they're growing. I'm really thankful they're not creepy like Benjamin Button and they go backwards and, and, and they just get younger and younger. I don't, we don't want that. The whole, tie, the whole point of life is to grow. We grow in a relationship. Uh, the relationship I have with my children's grown. I'm not talking uh, to them anymore. We're actually talking about things. Uh, they have really poorly crafted jokes that are hilarious and make no sense. But it's fun to see their brains grow. 
and develop. Uh, growth is a sign of health. Growth is expected, not just in our children's lives, not just in your relationship with your loved ones, but in every aspect of your life, growth is needed. From the plants in our gardens to the goals each of us have set up, we want to and we should want to keep growing. Today, we're in our second G of the Gather, Grow, Go series that we do every year, and everyone's like, we do this every year. Isn't the vision changing? No. It's the same. Uh, The body of Christ has had the same mission statement ever since Jesus said in Matthew 28, go into the world, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I'll be with you always. That's the same mission statement. It's reiterated in in Acts 1.8. It says, yeah, you're going to go, but I'm going to give you the power to do so, and you're going to make disciples. Make disciples is this idea of growing. The mission statement of the church hasn't changed. We gather together as believers because that's what we're supposed to do. We gather together and worship and learn. And then we grow. That's the whole idea of making disciples, becoming more like Jesus. You never arrive at becoming like Jesus. If you think you've arrived, you're a little off. You haven't. You never arrive. It's a constant race. It's, that's why we keep moving. And then last, next week, to spoil it, we're going to talk about how we go. What do we do to, uh, uh, to, for mission? What do we do uh, as believers? We go and make disciples. We teach individuals. But today, growth is what we want to talk about. Growth is good. The Apostle Paul saved some of his most powerful words for those who aren't growing. He writes this in 1 Corinthians. Brothers and sisters... I cannot address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. You're still infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. Corinthians is not this encouraging book that you get to. Paul is, in an essence, it's an angry email with all caps. He's he's laying into them. The Corinthians were messing up. And then it's the writer of Hebrews, she says this, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, yet you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And then uh, Peter says it this way, We we went through Peter last month, like newborn babies, you crave spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. None of these statements are necessarily encouraging, aren't they? He's looking at these churches, both all of these writers, and they're saying, grow up. When you come to Christ, it's not just come to Christ and stay as you are. It's come to Christ, and now you begin the process of growing. The question remains then, so if we're supposed to grow, how do we grow? And we can go for weeks and talk about spiritual disciplines and all of these things that we use for growth, and those are great. But then it backs up to still, how do we grow? How do we grow in times when it's, when it's times like ours when it's difficult to grow? In Psalms 1, uh, we're, we're looking through the Psalms for these next couple weeks. In Psalms 1, there is a, uh, it's, a, it's a simple psalm. It's the introduction to Psalms. It shouldn't be Psalms 1. It should be intro to Psalms. Uh, and then Psalm 2 should be Psalm 1, and it backs everything up. But in Psalms 1, we call it, it's the intro into how someone should grow. What is the benefit of growing? And it illustrates us both a warning and a promise and an implication that good, fruitful growth only comes by immersing yourself in God's word. Psalm 1 is an encouragement through positive and negative examples of how to adopt a life that fosters growth. Because growth doesn't just happen. 
You have to try and grow. You have to do the right things that you will grow stronger. You have to put yourself in a position to grow. And so Psalms 1 begins with this warning. If you have it, turn there. Uh, Psalms is in the middle of the Bible. If you would open your Bible and just let it fall, most likely, you'll be in Psalms. If you hit Proverbs, turn left. If you hit uh, Ezra, turn right. And Psalms is right in the middle. Psalms 1, in the preface, uh, says this. Uh, it, 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 it's, it says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. It's a bit interesting way to start it, right? You used to hear saying, you're blessed if you do something good. That's how Jesus says it, Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed comes from a good action. But here, it's kind of a positive lesson from a negative example. Blessed are you if you don't do this. And it's blessed is the one who does not. The word blessed conveys this idea of happiness that comes from, a, uh, from well-being and rightness. rightness. It's the positive part. The negative part comes next after this. Then what follows are three different verbs that begin to describe what blessed is. Hebrew poetry is written like this. You have a statement, and then you have the amplifying support for it. And this is how it's written. Blessed are those who don't do what? who don't walk in the paths of sinners. And David, or whoever wrote this, it's kind of unclear who wrote Psalm 1. It could have been later added by Ezra or somebody else. It it comes with this idea that growth is gradual. Although it seems like your kids grow up so fast, although it seems that I don't know how I got here, one day I was here and now I'm here, you wake up to the idea suddenly, but the growth that comes is gradual. And then you start to remember, oh, I got to this point because I took a small step, and then I took another small step, and then I took another small step. Growth happens over time. And this is what the psalm begins to illustrate. The baby steps that are taken are similar to the actions that we take when we walk. And the psalmist is keen to this. There's this progression that happens over time. And he says, very simply, it starts by who you're walking with. I go to a coffee shop down here on, on Market Street, and I like to sit outside, and I watch the people, and I like watching people walk. We all walk funny, okay? I walk like this sometimes, okay? I get it. But some people have a bounce to their step. Some people uh, don't. Some people look like they have a ton of bricks to their step. They're, they're walking heavy. Uh, they walk on their, they make loud noises. Sometimes they drag their feet. We all walk differently. But have you noticed something? There, there was uh, one time a group of people walked by, and they all met up on this corner. And soon, as they walked away, subconsciously, their feet started to line up. They started walking with their right, left, and it was in sync, and they started moving like this. Have you ever walked next to somebody, and you're walking close, and you don't line up with their steps? Your hands hit each other. It's awkward. Uh, it, you bump into them. But when they start walking in step, they're catching on like, hey, I'm going to walk just like you do. I'm going to walk in step with you. Right, left, right. I remember playing the game when I was walking with my dad. I would, I would try and match his gait when he walked. Soon, those people are all walking with the same size step. They're all walking at the same sized foot. or same, They're all walking with the same foot at the same time. Right, left, right, left. They're all going the same speed. And it happened naturally. 
And so the psalmist picks it and says, watch who you're walking with. The Hebrew word for, for walk is easy. It's halak. It means to keep in step. Uh, what started as individual steps, according to the psalmist here, becomes influenced by those who are you, you are walking with. So if you want to grow, the first thing, blessed is those who watch where you're walking. We'll get to the second half of these verses in a minute. Then he moves on to the next verb. Blessed are those who don't stand or stand. It, it, as if you're walking, you start with walking and then you see your friends and we're all walking and then you stop and you stand with them and you begin to notice something. Now you're standing with. And so you've stopped moving and you're looking at something. The word stand is the word amad. It, it, it means literally take a stand. As in, you were once walking with this group of people, now you're standing with them, and it's also meaning, and now you're supporting what they're doing. So you were walking, you're with them, and now you support them. Now you take a stand, and we have that thing right. I, I stand with, fill in the blank, it's all over social media. I stand with so-and-so, with this group, with that group. I stand with, we wear jerseys that say, you stand with this team. We have cups that say, we stand with this team. Bumper stickers, we stand with. It says that you are supporting them. We use this word today for the same thing. Now it's no longer a movement when you're walking with somebody. Now it's a way of your thinking. I support them. The next position, as you read on, it says, or sit. It goes from walking to standing to sitting. Now who are you sitting with? The, the word for sitting is the word yeshav. I'm saving the, the Hebrew word that you're going to repeat back to me in a minute, and some of you already have a clue. But it means yeshav, and it means more than just sitting. It means now you've walked, you've stood, and you've taken up residence. Some verses, when you look at this, it means now you're married to this idea. You're influenced by it. It is now... Uh, it's not a casual walk anymore. This is a way of your life. It's quite the precarious progression, right? Walk, stand, sit. And, and I don't think it's wrong because that's how we're all influenced by something, good or bad. And that's the lesson here. We're all influenced by the people we're with. Have you seen that in your life at all? You pick up the lingo of your friends. I do. You pick up your friend's habits. They pick up yours. Pretty soon you have the same voice inflections. Next, you're all wearing the same kind of shoes. Uh, or, or, or then you're, you, you like the same foods and the same shows, and you do things together. It happens naturally. It's what you do as friends. That's why your friend group kind of all look the same. It's what you go through. You like the same movies. You have the same hobbies. Uh, some of the books that I'm reading now are recommended to me by my friends. They're influencing me. A podcast, I don't listen to podcasts normally, but I'll get a text, hey, check out this podcast. And now I'm listening to what my friends are listening to. I'm influenced by them. It's normal. It's good. Uh, these movements represent a totality of how someone is immersed and then focused and then committed by a cultural association and, we end, and it ends up dominating a worldview. And in case these verbs... Uh, these, these verbs now, they, they say you, you walk, you stand, and then you sit, and then he adds to it. Who are we walking with? This is the question that he's getting to that doesn't walk with the wicked. The Hebrew word is the rasha, the ones who are hostile with God, doesn't stand with sinners. 
kata, which is those who have a lifestyle of sin. Doesn't take residence with the mockers, the, the lotes, those who refuse instruction or stir up anger or ridicule righteousness. All this to say, who are you influenced by? If you want to grow, the first warning that it says is, well, look around you. Who are you walking with? Who are you sitting with? Who do you live with? Because very soon, you're going to end up just like them. It's a warning, and it's a scary warning, if you think about it. You'll end up like the people you're around. When I do weddings, uh, there's a, every pastor has this. There's a variation of one wedding that we do for everybody, and we mix it up based upon the person. But most of the time, it's usually the same core principles. One of the things that I say is that your, your character in your marriage is going to be the most important part of your marriage. Other than your relationship with Jesus, who you are is important. So in order to have a good marriage, you have to guard your character. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians. He says at 1533, don't be misled. Bad company will corrupt good character. And when I do weddings, I say, if you want to keep your character, don't hang out with bad people. If you want to keep who you are, watch who you're with. Your spouse is drawn to your character. It's what keeps you all together. If your character begins to go sideways, your marriage is going to go sideways. Uh, if we can uh, redo this, it says, you, if, uh, Paul, what Paul's saying is, if you hang out with people with fleas, you're going to have fleas. If you hang out with somebody who smells, pretty soon you're going to smell. Sneak is, stink is contagious. It's very hard to be with somebody and not pick up what they're putting down for you to pick up. You hang out with this, you're going to be like this. You're going to be influenced. And Paul says precisely what the psalmist says. You surround yourself with somebody, you're going to be like them. You'll end up just like them. Now, here's the tension, and, and I'll get this probably in the form of an email, so let me save you the time. Well, Brad, didn't Jesus hang out with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners all the time? And, and he was fine, right? So what, what's, what, what do you say to that? And I'll, and I'll say this to you, so don't hit send yet. He did. You're right. Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. He ate with them. He came for them. He even said the sinners need a doctor. They're the ones who are the sick ones. We need to be with them. Absolutely. But let's ask a deeper question. In those relationships that Jesus did have, who did the influencing? Did Jesus walk up to the woman at the well who had five husbands and the one she was with was not her husband? Now I don't know the number off the top of my head. But did, did he walk up to her and then he left going, you know, she's right. No. When Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, did Jesus say, you know, Zacchaeus, you're right. You should keep ripping people off. No, Zacchaeus came away from Jesus saying, I'm sorry, I'm going to sell everything back and, and return what I've stolen. When, when Jesus was getting his foot, feet washed by the, by the woman who everyone thinks was a prostitute, all we know that is she just had a bad reputation. Did he leave becoming a prostitute? No. She left being more like Jesus. Zacchaeus left being more like Jesus. Do you see the difference? I mean, I, I can continue, and I, I think I will. The warning uh, is about how easy it is for the viewpoints and lifestyle of the wicked to influence us. And the caution is this. Don't let it influence you. 
be mindful of who you're walking with. Are they influencing you or are you influencing them? You're keeping in step with them. It's not saying that you don't go for a walk. It's not saying that you don't talk to them. It's not saying that we don't reach out. The opposite is just as extreme as the other end. You could say, I'm going to avoid anyone who's not a Christian. Well, that's not right either. But to walk with somebody and be mindful of who's influencing you, not avoiding them, but being careful with them. And you can start to see it if it happens. Does the person you're with begin to change your theology? Because that's the point and that's the problem that Christians and the church run into today. Our attempts to be culturally savvy, we've stopped looking like Jesus. And we've started to look just like the culture around us, accepting what culture believes is right, accepting what culture says is good. And we've neglected what the scripture says is right, what Jesus says is right. And it happens every time. We have become the influenced, not the influencers. We've grown in the wrong direction. We're always growing, and which way you're growing, it becomes the issue. The psalmist continues in verse, uh, verse 2. He says, this is the warning. Watch who you're being with if you want to grow, and we should all grow. Watch who you're being with. Then in verse 2, but those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate on, meditate on his law day and night, the word but is actually but rather, and so it's the, the contrasting term. Blessed is the one who does not do this. And then you can almost say, blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. In other words, rather than being influenced by those who are evil, blessed is the one who is influenced most by the laws of the Lord. At this time, the law of the Lord was the first five books of your Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy was the Torah. That's how it, how it was, that's what David would have had when he was writing this. And it was understood that it's more than just a checklist of what to do and what not to do. Instead, it was a guideline and instructions on how you and I and they were intended to live. This is how you are a person of God. This is how you follow God. And the first action is this. Blessed is the one who meditates on it day and night. The, the, law, the, the light comes from the ways and the lifestyle of the Lord. The word for meditating, this is what I want you to say because I want you to hear it. Hagah. Say it. Laura. You did? Okay, good. You got it this time. One more time. Say it loud. Hagah. Hagah. It's an automatopoeia. Do you know what automatopoeia is? It's a word that sounds like its definition. It means to moan, to growl, to utter, to muse, to mutter, to meditate, to devise, to plot, to speak. It's a word that sounds like its meaning. It's meant to sound like someone who is reading the Bible out loud to themselves, which is how they would have read the Bible. And so it sounds a little bit like, well, this is the word of the year. You're mumbling to yourself day and night. It's, you're meditating on it. You're not, it's different from the word in Joshua where it says to chew it up, to bring it up, to always be talking about. No, this is a different one. This is your speech is constantly the one who, you're the one who's influenced by this so much that you can't get it out of your brain. You're, speak, you're seeking it. You're dwelling upon it. It's the one that's influencing you. And then the writer says, not only meditates on it, not only is speaking it constantly under their breath, but looking at it day and night. It's a poetic technique called mirrorism. It's, it's to exemplify the extremes, not only in the morning, 
but also in the evening. Not only when you wake up, but when you go to bed. All this to say we're giving two ways of shaping our lives. One is to walk, stand, or sit and be influenced by the world around you. The other is to shape your minds and heart with the words of the Lord that will ultimately keep your feet planted in good soil. One leads to destruction and the other leads to life. So you have the warning and then you have the encouragement. Verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whether, and whatever they do, prosper. And the comparison, not so the wicked. They are like chaff who blow away in the wind. The righteous person is planted like by a master gardener in a place where the sprinklers hit everything just right and they receive nourishment in order to grow and to prosper. And the contrast is those who are rooting themselves in evil and, they'll have, uh, and they get no nourishment from associating with the wicked and they are drawn. They don't have anything to draw upon. Their roots are shallow and dead. One has permanence. The other is useless. One brings fruit and the other is swept away. And here's the word that tripped me up this week. Did you notice something about the word stream? Is it plural? Can you put that back up there, Roger? I never saw that it's streams of water. I always thought it was just a stream. No, no, no. It's stream. It's, it means more than one. It's, it's like that in the Hebrew, too. It's streams. More than once. More. It's constantly being watered. It's, it's a constant flow of nourishment. In order for this tree to grow, it has to have water all the time. How does a tree get strong and deep roots that it doesn't bend in the wind? Strong nourishment, a constant source of water. I was trying to grow hydrangeas in my yard in July. That was a mistake, uh, I was told. And in order to do so, a friend of mine said, you have to soak that soil like eight inches of water in order for this thing to... I just can't rely on the one watering a day. This is what it's going toward. No, it's streams. You want to grow in the right way? You want to grow in the way of the Lord? Streams of influence, more than once a week. Each stream be, becomes nourishment. And then what happens? Because of, the constant flow, flour, because of the constant source of nourishment, this tree begins to flourish. The word means to prosper, to succeed. It brings fruit when it's time. It doesn't bring fruit all the time. It brings fruit in its season. When you're growing with Christ, you're not going to always have fruit. There's going to be some times where the fruit goes away, but the fruit comes back. The nourishment comes in the season. Jeremiah talks about this in, in chapter 17. He says, those who are in the word, those who are influenced by the Lord, they will be like a tree planted by the water who sends its root into the stream. It does not fear the heat. It le its leaves are always green and it has no worries in the year of drought because it never fails to bear fruit. In our house, we are 50-50 with plants, indoors and outdoors. It it's just, we don't have a green thumb, we don't have a black thumb, I wonder if we have thumbs, but we're about 50-50. Uh, and so these are two of them that we have. There's this one, who I, would you say this one's doing okay? Yeah. Uh, this one started with one little thing. I think it was this one right there. It started with that. And then it kept growing and growing and growing. And then we have this one. <clears throat> How's this one doing? Y'all see it? It's not doing too well. We had high aspirations for this little sucker. It's, it's, not, it's not going well. 
One is clearly, <laughs> one is clearly doing better than the other, wouldn't you say? Now here's the difference. This one lives in our bathroom. This one's supposed to be an outdoor plant. Once it gets its roots, you're, you know, you're, once it grows a little bit, and we were watching it, you're supposed to put it in the ground. This one gets watered every day. Now here's the crazy part. I don't water it. I don't get a jug and dump water into it. Neither does Carrie. But do you know what waters it? The steam from our shower waters it. I'll walk up to it after the shower and I'll look at it and it's, it's wet and it's growing. It's, it's got the soil here has never been dry. The environment that it's in produces the growth automatically. This one lived on our deck and it got like this oh, back in July when we hit 100 degrees for the first time. I looked down as I was making something on the barbecue and went, ooh, that's bad. But I'm going to save it because I might use it on a Sunday so I didn't touch it. But it got watered, well, when it rained. So in June, it was doing great. And then when the rain stopped, it didn't do so well. And then we would throw some water on it as we were walking by. Maybe we had some leftover water in our jar. We'd throw water on here and there. It was in an environment that got zero water. One's constantly watered. The other is not. One of these is so brittle that when I brought it up here, now my Bible is covered in needles. On the way down, I had to do a hard stop because someone decided to cross the road wearing all black at night. And I, uh, luckily, Dylan saw them or I probably would have hit them. But I slept on the brakes and now my whole back seat is covered in this stuff. Okay? It's so brittle that I can go like this and tear that off. It's dead. There's no nourishment to it. This one, I have to change the pot because it's outgrowing it or do something to make it work. I don't know. I'm not a plant person. I don't know what I'm... I'm sure I'll get advice afterwards. One is strong and its roots are healthy. This one's dead. What's the difference? Where it's placed. It's streams, a constant source of nourishment. And this is the picture that the psalmist wants us to take in mind. You have two ways to grow, and the choice is yours. You can put yourself in a place where you will be fed. You can put yourself in a place where the nourishment comes constantly. And if you want to grow with Christ, that's what you're going to have to do. It's not something that you just show up once or water when you feel like. No, it's a constant source of nourishment, being planted by streams of living water. The growth this is the growth that I'm pretty sure most of us want. Yet if I'm honest with myself, and if you can be honest with yourself, is this the growth you have? Does your life with Christ resemble this tree? You don't have to raise your hand. Or are you kind of feeling a little bit dried out? My concern is that more often than not, we'll err on this side than on this side. Why is that? Check your streams. Where are you planted? Which stream of growth are you tapped into? If the goal of the Christian life is to be planted and grown into the, trans into the transformed person of Jesus Christ, what things are you doing to bring that growth? And for many of us, and for many Christians, the only time we are fed or watered, if we're going to go with the tree analogy, is on Sunday mornings between the hours of 9.30 and 11.00. 
if you were to water your trees one time a week for maybe 90 minutes, how would your tree do? Not good. So let's take that to our faith. If the only time you open up your Bible, if the only time you fellowship with other believers, if the only time you're challenged in your faith is once a week, is that enough? No. But that's how most of us will live their faith. If something comes up or a trip is planned or if the hiking weather is amazing or if it just snowed and there's, there's four inches of powder, what's the first thing that goes? Sunday morning. And then it stays for a couple weeks, and then pretty soon you haven't watered your faith. And how long are you going to grow? No. Growth is intentional. Growth is putting yourself in the soil where the water's going to come, where you will be nourished instead of malnourished, where you'll be by streams that are flowing instead of streams that have dried. Your faith will be vibrant instead of weak. It's streams. It's plural. It's more than just Sunday mornings, but it's not without Sunday mornings. It's also a personal quiet time, and I love the personal quiet time. I think it's great. Bible time, whatever you call it, chair time, coffee with Jesus, whatever you call it. It's more than just that, too. You could say, well, my faith is just me and Jesus, and don't really need Sundays. That's not true. Well, my faith is just me and Jesus. I I don't need a small group. That's not true. If, all your, if only water you get is just you and your Bible time, not good enough. Uh, the, Bible study in, in, in a, in, the Bible in America study reports this, that 62% of the people in communities surrounding our churches and in the church, who they, they said that they would like to read the Bible more. Yet the studies show that, one, that in one generation, the number of occasional Bible readers has fallen by 20% equivalent to 700 people per day. And if this trend continues by 2040, two-thirds of Americans will have no connection with the Bible at all. So if you take away Sunday mornings and you say, it's just this, well, what happens when, you, when something takes your schedule and you don't have time to read your Bible? What's the first thing that goes? Your Bible. And so now you're down another stream. Your stream begins to dry up and you have no association with God's word. It's more than just Sunday mornings. It's more than just you and the Bible, and that's a great thing to do. That's another stream that we can have. It's more than just you and your friends who happen to be Christians, and you're all hanging out, and you call it community and fellowship, but really what you're talking about isn't anything transforming your faith. It's more than just that. If the only time that you ate was when you got together with your friends, when your schedule worked out, would you be hungry all the time? Yes because life gets busy and you don't get to hang out with your friends all the time. But if that's the only time that you got the community and you got the word of the Lord, you're hungry. Here's what the psalmist is getting at. You need streams, not stream. You need more than one source. We need Sunday mornings and we need the quiet times. We need the friend that meets up with us and challenges our faith. We need the small group that builds around us. We need another stream and another stream. If you read any entrepreneurial magazine, what do they say? Streams of income. More than one brings health. If uh, the, the whole idea around our streaming content it, uh, on, when it comes to online stuff isn't just once a week. In fact, the CEO of HBO said, I want once, twice an hour 
I want people to constantly be looking at our app. I want the, our information to be streaming us to them. And he has a whole different way of going about it. He said in May, he said because it brings income, it brings ad revenue, it also brings influence. He has a way of influencing you if you're constantly on the app, if you're constantly looking at something, that's what's influencing you. Isn't it ironic that it's called a social media stream? It's your stream. It's where you're getting your information. Some of us need more streams. Some of us need to change our streams. And so the question that Psalm 1 asks, if you want to grow, the first thing you do is what? Check your stream. Jesus wants to be the stream. He wants to be the one that feeds and nourishes your soul. He wants to care for you so you grow stronger, so you bring fruit. He wants to establish streams of health that come, that come from him so that we grow in what he has for us. So today, the question for you is, what tree do you want to look like? What's your stream? What's your news feed look like? What's feeding your soul? How many streams do you have open just Sundays? Perhaps it's time to add another. Maybe try it. See what happens. You control your own streams. It's kind of like a, uh, the air traffic controller controls what lands and what doesn't land. You get to control what feeds you and what depletes you. An air traffic controller controls the airplanes that lands, and he says, you can't land here yet. You need to do another loop around Edmonds, go around again and come back. That's the time you land. And then he'll look at the ground and say, you need to leave. The same is true with our streams. We get to control what feeds us. And if you're noticing that some of your streams are depleting you, maybe it's time to stop the stream. The stream isn't drawing me anywhere nearer to Christ. I need to cut it off. I need to put a dam up there. I need to open up another stream. You get to control it. I, I've, this is how it's worked with me. I've realized that uh, if I'm constantly being hounded by the news media, Twitter, social media, I become even more anxious than I already am. And then all of a sudden I hear the that the IRS is coming after me, and then I'm on the radio on the way home, and the IRS is coming after me, and pretty soon I'm expecting a knock on the door, and it's going to be an agent. Why? Because that's what I filled my head with. My stream is fear. So what have I done? Glad you asked. I'll tell you. On my ride home, either the radio is off, or I found an AM radio station that has old preachers, and they preach. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's like, whoa this dude or it's the worship station or the worship playlist for my iPad or iPhone why because it's a stream and if I let media shape me I'm going to be in a pretty bad place I'm going to be more anxious I'm going to be more afraid I'm going to hate people because they said what I'm going to be frustrated if I listen to a guy trash the city of Seattle for 40 minutes every day, am I going to fall in love in the, with the city where God's placed us? No. I'm going to hate it. I can't do that. Neither can you. If you want to grow, check your streams. Eliminate some streams. Open up some streams. Bring some irrigation to your yard. 
And then you end up like this sucker, rooted, firm, healthy. It's starting to grow another shoot down there. It's starting to have fruit. I, I got to remember to put it back in my bathroom. Passive streams that shape you rather than no streams or the wrong streams that lead you down the wrong path. Would you pray with me? Father, would you work through our hearts today and identify the places where we are trying to be find nourishment and really it's horrible for us. It's not grow food. It's junk food. It's polluted water. It's toxic water. It's not bringing anything to us. And whether it be social media, whether it be uh, mainstream media, whether it be TV, streaming shows, podcasts, what are we filling our soul with, Lord? Because it's our desire to be healthy. It's our desire to grow and bring fruit. And it's our desire to be close to you. And you've given us the recipe for this. If you want to be close to me, watch who's influencing So, God, may we take in mind who's influencing us today. Who's watering our souls today? May we repent from places where we've sat down and taken up residence and and walked away from what your word says. May we repent of the places where we've taken a stand with someone who doesn't stand anything close to you. we be mindful of who we're walking with not to avoid but to so that we could be influencers rather than influence we remember Jesus and may we grow roots because of it you say in this psalm that at the very end therefore the wicked won't stand but the righteous will prosper So God, may our roots grow deep. May we prosper because we're attached to you. In your name we pray.